you have your Bibles this morning, I'm reading from the book of Habakkuk. For scripture reading today, if you would like to find that, it's one of the hardest books in the Bible to find. It's the fifth book from the last of the Old Testament. And I want to speak to you this morning on the theme of Thanksgiving from the book of Habakkuk. Not necessarily one that is used in that context, but what a, a real life uh, situation Habakkuk has described, very much mirroring the lives that we live. And uh, the Lord will speak to us uh, through that. The first 11 verses of the book of Habakkuk the prophet. Verse 1 says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Here's Habakkuk's complaint. O Lord, how long must I call for your help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never seems to prevail. The wicked him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Here's the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your day that you will not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law unto themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like vultures swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gathering prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. They sweep, then they sweep past like wind on and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. And Habakkuk says in chapter in verse 12, then his second complaint, How long are you not from everlasting? Uh, my holy, my God, my holy one, we will not die. And if that uh, brings great uh, uh, comfort and excitement to you in your life, say amen. Well, <laughs> maybe not so. We move fast along into the season of Thanksgiving and, and uh, just 10 days away. And, uh, of course, that, that rolls into the Christmas holidays and it'll be here before we know it in such a sacred and blessed time of the year. So I want to talk to you these next couple of weeks from the book of Habakkuk and his prophecy and his, what he faced and, and, and seek to gain a greater understanding of what it is to be thankful. Do you have a thankful heart? Do you have a heart that is filled with gratitude towards God for what he's done for you? Are you contented with your life? I heard a man today offer a riddle, not today, but this week, offer a riddle of sorts. This is a test. Man number one has $11 million to his name in cash, all liquid. Everything he owns is his. He has $11 million left over. Man number two has 11 kids. Okay, here's the test. Which one is contented? Man number two, who has 11 kids, because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> At the heart of thanksgiving is a spirit of contentment. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in the world's assessment of life always wanting just a little bit more. 
had a conversation with a man uh, a few years ago in Washington D.C. He was a multi-millionaire by every measure of the of the uh, by every way to measure. He was uh, he was probably in his early 70s. He had everything he could ever want. His office was lined with pictures of his family and and all kinds of recreation and vacation. He told me he had a little boat that he'd like to get on for recreation. It was it was it was uh, tied up out there in the Chesapeake Bay. Now, where I come from, a little boat is a 10-foot aluminum boat or 12-foot aluminum boat and a couple of paddles, but a little boat for him was, was quite. He said he got a great deal on it. He only paid $985,000 for it, his little boat. I said to him, why are you still working? You've got enough money to last the rest of your life. You probably cannot spend everything you had if you deliberately tried to. Why do you need to keep on doing this? And I was shocked at his answer. He said, because if I could just have a little more, I could be comfortable. If I just had a little more. He said, do you know how many men become millionaires in the decade of their 60s or even into their 70s? Do you realize how much money there is to be made out there? I should be able to get my take just a little more, and then I'll retire. I tried to get him to define a number uh, numerically a little more, and he was unable to do that. At the heart of a spirit of thanksgiving is a sense of contentment and gratitude for where God has placed us. So often we pray for God's will. We should all pray for God's will. We should seek God's will in our lives. And we sometimes in the church kind of hold that up as a great example of, uh, of finding the way to real contentment in life is to find God's will and to live in God's will. But if we're not careful, we become so unhappy with where God's will takes us. The standard of living God allows us to adopt what happens to us, what we can do and can't do when all those around us are doing a lot of, a lot of uh, interesting and, and exciting and fun things, and, and, and we don't do that. And have to be careful we don't let the devil steal us of the gift God has given his children. A thankful heart that comes from a spirit of gratitude that results in contentment. Well, we are headed towards a day of Thanksgiving, a national day of Thanksgiving. It's kind of amazing to me. In the church, we celebrate this in such a way for, for, for every day for the Christian should be a day of Thanksgiving. Maybe we don't eat turkey and have all kinds of desserts and do those kinds of things we do on the day, the national day of Thanksgiving. But every day ought to be a Thanksgiving day for us because of what God has done in our lives. His grace has reached us in the depths of sin where we were hopelessly and completely lost. His mercy overlooks a multitude of sins. He leads us and guides us and protects us and directs us and says, if you'll trust me, I'll guide you through life. Every day ought to be a day of Thanksgiving. But if we're not careful, we get easily get sucked into the, the world's view of things and, and the habits of the world begin to take over and jealousy and envy and bitterness and all kinds of negative things, materialism and greed and pride and arrogance creep up in our lives in a greater way than they should. And we forget that for the Christian person, our lives should be filled with gratitude. Are you, are you grateful today for what God has done? Are you grateful today for what God has given you? Are you grateful today for God and God alone? Though all forsake you, He will never forsake us, His Word says. He will be with us to the very end of our days. If God is all we have, I remind you, God is really all we need. And the old saying goes that until you come to the place where God is all you have, you don't really realize that God really is all you need. But we ought to be a people who are motivated by a heart of gratitude that results in, in a spirit of thanksgiving. 
And by the way, we show our spirit of thanksgiving to God, not necessarily by what we say, but how we live our lives. There is so much dissatisfaction in the world today, and that even seeps over into the church at times and even over into the lives of Christian people sometimes. We're so dissatisfied, and, and yet we prove how thankful we are to God by the way we live. An attitude of gratitude, it has been said. God wants His people to be just that kind of person, grateful for life, grateful for breath, happy to be here, doing what we can to serve God and to love people and to help others along the way. It's at the heart of a spirit of gratitude. Well, Habakkuk lived in a very unusual time, a very difficult time for, the, for God's people. They had been reduced now from 12 tribes down to just about two. He was speaking to, the, to those of the tribe of Judah, and Habakkuk takes a great look at things in his world and is really unhappy. And he tells God, how long are you going to let all this go on? The world in which we live is violent. The world in which we live has a lot of injustice. So many people are tolerating wrong. It seems like destruction, reports of destruction and violence are before us continually. There is strife and conflict abounds everywhere. It seems at times the law even is paralyzed. It seems like the wicked, him and the righteous, and even justice itself is perverted. If Habakkuk would have included anything about a midterm election cycle in this, I think he would be talking about our world. What an interesting world we live. I held a, was privileged to preach a funeral Monday for a man 95 years of age, and I tried to calculate how many election cycles he had lived through <laughs> and report that he ought to have joy that he's in heaven and there's no elections in heaven and all that. But Habakkuk talks about the world he lives in. It's a violent world. It's a world filled with injustice. It's a world where, 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 where wrong is tolerated and right is looked down upon. It's a world that doesn't seem to be interested in God. It's a world that seems to be so self-centered and so self-focused with what I want and when I want it and how I get it. It, it doesn't matter. It's a world that seems to be so self-centered. He's talking about the very people of God. And Habakkuk says to God, how long are you going to tolerate this? Of course, we have read the God's response a verse of Scripture that's been used probably wrongly in, in many times. God said, I'm about to do something so, so, so amazing, you can't even comprehend it. Just as Habakkuk was resting on that comment and, and, and rejoicing in what God was going to do, God tells him what that is. I've given the Babylonians commission to overtake you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to chastise you. And out of that, there will come a remnant of the people of God. And, and all that uh, takes place in, in the Babylonian captivity of 70 years where, where Daniel and his three buddies were, that were thrown in the fire lived through. Habakkuk is, is, is praying to God before this happens, and God says, this is what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk, somehow, as you read these 59 verses of this chapter, I think three chapters long, you find he comes full circle to realize that while the world is not ideal and there's a lot of difficult things happening in the world, uh, it all uh, will eventually end up in the right way for the Christian person who recognizes that God and God alone is its author. And he says at the end of this, of this little book and his prophecy, though, though the vineyards are, are, are bare and though the, the stalls are empty, and the olive crop fails, and there's no sheep in the pens, 
I still will be able to rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God my Savior. My sovereign Lord is my strength. And I contend to you this morning that that is the point in which a spirit of real, genuine thanksgiving takes place. When we recognize God and who He is, and who He is in our life and what He does for us, all of the other stuff doesn't seem to matter as much as to allow it to take over our entire focus. And so I thought this week about Habakkuk, how, how, do, you, how do you have a thankful heart when, when, there's, when the world around you seems to be such a mess? That's what Habakkuk was saying. God, in case you're not watching, let me tell you how things are. In case you've, you've missed something of this or you hadn't watched the 6 o'clock news last night, let me tell you what's going on. The devil's winning, and you're not. And it seems as though no matter how hard some of us try, we are so making so little progress that it just seems like destruction awaits all of us because the world is going away from you. How do we have a thankful heart when our world is far less than what it ought to be. I think of my short lifetime and the changes that have been made nationally and politically. I grew up in a, in, in a time in grade school. Every day started with a prayer and a Bible reading and singing. In fact, I got in trouble in the third grade because my third grade teacher was the wildest singer and music director I had ever seen before. And put feathers on that woman and she would have flown away, you know. <laughs> But, but we used to pray, and we used to, the Bible used to be okay. In the, in the eighth grade, every person in, 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 in the class had to take their turn reading a chapter of the Bible before school, and we prayed. And now we're, our world is fighting over whether the Ten Commandments can be displayed. Our world has become so, intoler so tolerant that we've lost a, a sense of, of, of rightness. And I'm not saying that that's a, that's a, a reason for for uh, hatred and, and prejudice and all those kinds of things. But, but we, we've lost this, sin and we argue about things that a few years ago were, were given. And we've almost forgot that our creators formed this nation, one nation under God, and that God was the principle for uh, the motivation for uh, the pilgrims even coming uh, to this distant land to find religious opportunity and to flee religious persecution. Our world, it seems is moving further and further and further away from God. How can we have a thankful heart? Well, if we read the Bible, we realize that we can have a thankful heart because God is the ultimate controller of everything. And the world, in fact, according to Jesus, is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So it's not a time to panic and wonder where God is. It's a time to judge the signs and the seasons of the times and realize what's happening and hold on to God. And so we get discouraged over well, let me say, let me, I get discouraged over political ads. Anybody with me on that? I get discouraged over who's right and who's wrong and the stuff they tell. And we think that, we think that whether, whether it's one side or the other, they're, they're all guilty in that respect. And I get discouraged when I see our country at the highest levels debating such simple things as what is life and what is a man and what is a woman and and, and, and we debate things that should give no thoughts. And the high courts and thousands and millions of dollars are spent doing this. And I have a tendency to say, God, where is the world going? If I'm not careful, the enemy comes in and steals my joy. And I forget that God helps me to have a thankful heart in the midst of a world that is in decay and decline because we serve God and God alone. He is our source of hope. He is our source of strength. It is not in our country. It is not in politicians. It is not in the natural things that we make in this world. Our hope is in God. And our thanksgiving 
has to come from that. Habakkuk would go on to say to God, uh, discussions about unanswered prayer. How can we have a thankful heart when our prayers are not being answered? He really says to God, are you even listening? Do you, are you even aware of what's going on? I prayed and you've not done anything. I prayed and you've not responded. You do not listen, he says. I cry out to you and you do not listen. And, and he was so distraught by unanswered prayer. Anybody here, don't raise your hand. Anybody here, though, would say to the Lord, I have prayers that God has not yet answered. I think all of us would be able to say that. And yet God has answered some of our prayers as he did Habakkuk in such a, an unusual and wild and never thought of way that we probably don't even notice that God has answered those, but we have an answered prayer. And the enemy would come to us and say today, God's not listening to you. You're not important to God. He doesn't really care about your measly request. I had a person see me in the last month, not, not from this church, but, but they came in, in from the town and, and said just that. How can I believe in a God who says, call on me and I will answer you, and I have called and called and called, and he is not interested. And if we're not careful, the enemy works on us and tells us because of unanswered prayer, something negative is happening. I want to remind you that God is at work all the time, in every way, in every decision. God is at work in ways we cannot comprehend. His ways are above our ways. God is answering prayer. God will answer prayer. God will have His way. And if we simply put our lives in the center of God's will, we pray to God, but we leave the timing of the answer to Him. I've learned a long time ago, as I say often, that God is not interested necessarily in my timetable. I've told him a few times what's wrong in my life and what he could do to fix it, and God hasn't taken my advice yet. I've, I tell the Lord things and think that he just responds to it. It's just, it's just some kind of an indentured a, a servant, and he, he just steps to it. And if we're not careful, the devil gets in and robs us of the joy of Jesus because we have yet unanswered prayer. And yet I have lived long enough to know and realize that I'm thankful God has not answered a lot of my prayers in the way that I have prayed them. Because a mess gets worse when God is not directing traffic. I went on a work and witness trip to the country of Haiti, and we were building a church on the Haiti side of the, of the island of Hispanola, Dominican Republic on one side. Haiti on, on, has the other part of the island. We were right on the line building a church, and we were at a, at a, at a lot, uh, on a corner lot at a, at a four-way intersection. Only there wasn't any traffic lights or signs or anybody. You traveled at your own risk, and it was pretty amazing to see. The cars really didn't stop. They just kind of figured out a way. And one of our guys decided that was too crazy, and he went out and directed traffic for about an hour. And a truck full of men with guns showed up. <laughs> and they wanted to know who was out there missing their traffic up. And he said, I'm trying to straighten it out. I think some of our folks told them to go ahead and shoot him. It's a good they didn't know Spanish or they said that. Just shoot him and be done with him. He's out there missing up the traffic. And yet it's working in a way that we don't understand. What a great picture that is of God who is at work on our behalf, who's directing the traffic of our life, who keeps us in the ditch on that side and the ditch on, that, on the other side and somebody from running into us. God is at work even in the midst of our unanswered prayer. And if we view our timetable for God to answer our prayers as fact and the way it ought to be, we have a very small concept of God. His way is above our way. His understanding is far beyond mine. His perception 
his perception is so complete that he sees the entire picture when I just see what's right in front of me. And God's message to back in this book was, I have not answered your prayer. I have answered some of your prayers, and you didn't like the answer, but I have not answered all of your prayers, but so what? I am still sovereign God, and I will guide your life, and I will bring you through this difficult time. I'm taking care of the violence in the city and the injustice that society is facing. I'm taking care of all that. Habakkuk, hold on to me, and let me guide you through. What a great message that is for us today on the eve of this Thanksgiving season. The world's a mess, but we still have a great country, by the way. I'm still a firm believer in the United States of America, our government, our system. It's still a great country, but it is not a perfect country. By the time you add sin and selfishness and self-centeredness and all kinds of other negative things, it's not perfect by a long shot. But don't get concerned about what we see. God is in charge and marching toward the day when this world will be over and He will split the eastern sky and say, it's time, it is done. Come to me, all you that that have been faithful, and we will meet Him in the air, as the Bible says, to go to a perfect place, a new heaven and a new earth, John, that Revelator tells us. Habakkuk's final question to God was, how can... When the con- in this context, how, how can we be thankful when there's so much confusion going on in the world today? You know, tolerance is great, and we, we have all kinds of, uh, of, of, uh, of cultures in, in, in our culture in America, and we have all kinds of, of beliefs and religious beliefs, and all. but it is a confusing world to someone who does not know. I talked to a person recently who had been on a quest to find the true religion And they had studied all the major religions of the world, and that was the most confused person I think I'd ever talked to. By the time I got through talking to them, I was confused. They believed a little bit of everything, and they said, we're just going to take a little bit of of what we believe, the best stuff of all religions, and put them together, and that's going to be our path. And they didn't understand me to say, that's not going to get you to heaven, according to this book. It's a confusing world. It's confusing times. I don't know who's right and who's wrong nationally. I don't know who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth. And I don't know what lies ahead for, for, uh, for the world and for our countries and, and those other things. But God does know. And God says to us, lift your eyes above the confusion of the day and set them on me. I do not change. I am the same yesterday and today and forever, and I will be with you tomorrow. And if you'll set your sights on me, you can rise above all the negative stuff that's happening in our world, all the confusing, confusing stuff, all the violence and, and, and so much negative things happening. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. And a spirit of thanksgiving comes when we grasp that simple truth. I am His and He is mine. Therefore, contentment becomes possible in the midst of confusion. Contentment becomes possible in the midst of, a, of, of, of injustice that I see so clearly. Contentment, because my hope is built on God and nothing else, and that will see me through. So as we enter this Thanksgiving season, I remind you, wow, the world's a mess. By the way, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be worse before it's over with. The world's a mess. Don't get distracted by that. Uh, as we enter the Thanksgiving season, I want to remind you that our task is to pray to God, and He answers and delivers according to His timetable. It's not a time to be discouraged. It's a time to be believing. 
and a lot of confusing stuff happening in the world. But God's way will prevail through it all. And we have thanksgiving in the midst of all kinds of things in our lives we don't want. By the way, that's biblical. It was Job, the Bible says in the first chapter of Job, you should read it today. Word came to him that Job, in the first chapter, Job had lost everything, starting with his extensive herds, starting with his extensive holdings, finally concluding with the death of his kids. Job mourned and tore his clothes and sat in, in sackcloth and ashes, as the Bible said. And then he got up and built an altar and worshiped the Lord. And he said, God gives, God takes away. But in the midst of all that, blessed be the name of the Lord. It was true in the, the life of the Apostle Paul. Last seven years of his life were years of torment. Spent most of those years in jail, was regularly beaten. Paul was run out of more towns than most preachers ever went to. He lived his life in the midst of shipwreck and danger and all kinds of peril. In the midst of that, all, of all that, Paul writes, in everything I have learned to give thanks to God for His goodness to me. It's biblical, folks. Life is difficult. Sickness invades. Health is jeopardized. Financial loss has been realized and more is perhaps on the horizon. The world is getting more violent, it seems. The society is moving further away from God. But I will worship the God in whom my hope is held, and I will trust Him, and in everything I will try to give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything, I will try to give thanks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. William Randolph Hearst was one of America's uh, uh, earliest big, big, big businessmen. Many of you know the name. He published and owned the newspapers on the West Coast. Many of you have been to the Hearst Castle, I would imagine, out in out in California, William Randolph Hearst was, a, was, a, was a, a mega wealthy man. He was also a lover of art, and he had an extensive art collection. In 1920, he read of a particular painting that seemed to catch his mind and catch his attention, and as days went on, he just got consumed by, I must have that painting. So he hired two of the best men of the day to go find it for him. I don't know what you call those guys. He sent them on a quest. He sent them across the ocean to Europe to look for it. They spent their days searching gallery after gallery after gallery. They went to various countries. They talked. They looked. They planned. They listened. They tried with all their hearts to find this particular painting that William Randolph Hearst so desired. He told them and gave them the, 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 the task at any cost. You buy that and bring it home and put it in my, in my gallery. And they were frustrated. They couldn't find it. Every lead they had, every lead they, had they followed, and it turned up to be a, a dead-end road. And then they would get another lead here, and they would go to this country. And, and this, for seven weeks they did that. They were afraid to come home and face Mr. Hurst because they had not succeeded in what he had told them to do. He was kind of a feared guy in that respect. And he told them to keep on searching and look harder. And, and after seven or eight weeks, they got their first break. The painting had left Europe, and it actually come to the United States. And they headed a ship and came, got on a ship and headed home. They traced it down to California. They finally found it in a warehouse in Southern California. And when they looked up the deed to see 
who the warehouse belonged to, they were shocked to realize it belonged to William Randolph Hearst. And he didn't believe it when they told him. He'd spent so much time and money looking for what something he already owned and never realized it. I want to say to all of us today, no matter what has happened in our life, the seed of the spirit of gratitude is right in our midst. Yes, life is hard, and yes, sickness comes and death happens, and all the negative things take place, but God is still good. And we don't have to look far and wide to find a piece of contentment and to find gratitude in our heart. God has given it to us. The seed is planted in our hearts today. May we cultivate that as we go through this holiday season. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is uncertain, but God is certain. Life is unpredictable, but God is not. And we trust Him to see us through. Though the barns are empty and the olive trees are bare, and there's no fruit in the vineyards, God is sovereign and I will serve a sovereign God. Was the final uh, words for Habakkuk. May it be true in our lives as well. A spirit of gratitude breeds contentment. A spirit of thanksgiving is centered in that. Am I grateful? Am I thankful? Am I contented? And may God help each one of us answer those questions earnestly and create a revival in our hearts to realize that life is good because we have God and He has us and we trust Him to lead us through. Amen. 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 Let's stand this morning for a final prayer and Derek is going to come and lead us in a, in, in a closing uh, song. I didn't know what page it was. If you saw the page number, uh, we'll reveal the page number soon <laughs> if you'd like to sing. And it'll be on the screen, I think. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we humbly come before you today thanking you that while we were yet lost, you redeemed us. That while we don't deserve anything but, but, but death and hell and all the, uh, and everything in between, your mercy has extended to us. You have paid the price for our sin. You have, you have paid our debt. We honor you and worship you. Help us, Lord, not to let life get us down and the world get us down and our society get us down. May we keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And may your great love so penetrate our hearts this season that we are so grateful that we live such a contented life in you that we truly embrace a spirit of gratitude that is revealed in our lives every day of the year. Thank you, Lord, for your great goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.